The primary purpose of the matter over mind experience is to educate. It doesn't constitute advice or services. Before making any changes, please consult a medical or dietary professional. Nutrition, gut health, mental health, hormones, and so much more. These all play roles in sustainable weight management. So, I scour the globe for top experts in fitness, health, and weight loss to bring to you this podcast. So, take a seat and enjoy the ride. Welcome to another episode of the Matter Overmind Experience. I'm your host, master trainer and weight management expert, Narado Zico Powell. Today, I have Dr. Leo Gallen, and we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics, the gut. We're going to talk about probiotics. We're going to talk about long COVID symptoms and so much more. See, Dr. Gallen is a pioneer in studying the gut microbiome and leaky gut. So you know we have a lot of good stuff to get into today. And of course, there's a hack of the episode. What's it going to be? What are the best foods for a gut? This can become a confusing topic because you go online and you hear all these things about, oh, drink this tea and do this detox program. But Dr. Gallen is going to give us some good expert science-backed guidance on foods that can improve our gut. And with that being said, Doc, welcome to the show. It's good to be talking with you. You too, my friend. With that being said, let's jump to this puppy. Tell my audience about yourself. Well, I'm a, I'm a practicing physician. I um, practice in New York, and uh, I've been treating patients for, oh, I don't know, you know, like 55 years. Um, and uh, I kind of specialize in trying to help people who have complex chronic illness. So I work as a problem solver, and uh, I have a particular interest in the relationship between the gut and general health. And over the past 30 years or so, I've had um, an area of focus on the gut microbiome, which is the collection of all of the microorganisms that live in our gut. And, you know, there are more microorganisms living in our GI tract than we have human cells in our body. And they have, they, they provide us with so much, you know, over 90% of the chemicals circulating in your blood, they originate with the microbiome. You're as a human, you have about, 25 to 30,000 human genes. The bugs living in your gut have about 4 million genes. So they are capable of doing so many things that we're not. And they have evolved with us over millennia, you know, over, over eons. So there's this um, mutual relationship. We give them a home and they supply us with things that we need in order to thrive. So it sounds like we're just walking cascades of bacteria. That's what, that's kind of yeah, what I'm we doing. are. And and everybody's microbiome is actually unique. 
you know, you can, if you were a forensic um, scientist or a detective or something like that, you could tell who had been a room by looking at the DNA of the bacteria sampled from that room. Everybody has a unique signature and, and you carry that microbiome with you. I mean, wherever you go, it's kind of, you know, like pig pen and the cloud in the peanuts cartoons, this cloud of your own personal microbes travels with you. So what I'm hearing is that the microbiome is really our gut environment, which is a collection of this, of this, these bacteria, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now they also exist on the skin and the rest in your respiratory tract, you know, your nose, sinuses, throat, they're all over, over the body. There are even some that are inside, but 98% of the, of these uh, bacteria are in your GI tract. From oh, I didn't know it was that to, high. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's all, yeah. It's the vast majority of them. Wow. That is really high. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I knew it was, there, I knew vast majority was in your GI tract, but I didn't realize it was 98%. There, there are actually about three pounds of pure bacteria in your, um, in your large intestine. So if I want to lose some weight, I need to get rid of my <laughs> GI tract. I don't know. Well, well be- there's a problem there because <laughs> they regulate your metabolism. And there are a lot of studies that have shown that after taking antibiotics, people can gain weight because you need those organisms. Which that's going to lead to my next question. Now, I'm glad you brought up um, weight loss because, you know, this is primarily a weight management show with the focus on health. Right. So I, my audience has been listening to me and, and watching me for a while. And I've talked many times on the connection between our gut microbiome and weight management. That's why I don't always say weight loss. I say weight management. Right. right? So with that being said, we've heard the terms of probiotics and actually back up. Let me back up before I ask this question, because you mentioned earlier that everyone has like a a different um, gut environment. Right. So what are some reasons that may be why my gut microbiome may be different than yours? So there are, there are several factors that have been proven. One is genetics, maybe 25% of the variation from person to person seems to have to do with the genetics of the person that are more friendly to certain bacteria than certain others. Uh, and from the weight perspective, there, um, there is one type of bacterium, it's called Cinella, that's associated with leanness, and it's associated with the genetic tendency to be lean. So um, that's one component. The second component is where you live and who you live with. Uh, Because you share microbes with people who you room with, share a home with, pets, you know, and and especially if there's a pet, everybody handles the pet. And and that's why it's called a pet, because it gets petted. And, um, you know, you you share microbes that way. Uh, And then there's the effect of diet. Um, And... Um, diet ha- can have a major impact depending on the nature of the of the dietary changes that you make. And changing your diet can have a major impact. Uh, and then the fourth component, I guess, is the results of as a result of drugs and medications and disease or illness. So in any one individual, diet or medication may become the predominant 
determinant just because, you know, you're on a radical diet or you are really sick and you're taking meds. Uh, COVID, which we're going to be talking about later, that changes the microbiome. There are rather dramatic changes that occur after COVID-19, and they pretty much start when you first get sick. That makes sense, which makes me think about something else, though. Let's talk about, because what I'm hearing is, okay, so there is a genetic factor, which I believe you say is around 25%. Yeah, something like that. So so these are approximate numbers, and everything else is really epigenetic-related, right? So epigenetic-related... epigenetics is really the larger part of the percentage, which we have a lot more science now proving that, which is why we need to focus a lot more on not just, oh, you know, I inherited this. Like when I was growing up in Jamaica, I grew up in Jamaica and I wanted to, one of her biggest sayings was, oh, I'm big bone. That's why I'm overweight. I'm big bone. And I, I never really understood what that meant. But my response used to always be, I don't care about your bone. I'm talking about the fat, <laughs> right? <laughs> Joker spot. But seriously, but we just kind of get stuck into that. Oh, all my family members are like this. So I'm going to be like this because of the genetic factor. But epigenetics, no matter what, how you look at it, plays a larger role in this. Right. And let me just say it's the microbiome impacts human epigenetics because of the substances that are produced. By, by gut microbes. Well, there are a range of them. And actually, you know, you, you mentioned probiotics. There are really three categories of supplements to think about in this context. They're probiotics. Probiotics are bacteria themselves. And, you know, the best known is are the bacteria that are found in fermented foods and yogurt, the lactobacilli. Um, and then there are prebiotics, and prebiotics are foods that stimulate uh, the growth of specific types of bacteria. Uh, but then there, there's a new concept, which is postbiotics. Postbiotics are chemicals uniquely made by gut bacteria that then affect your body. And probably the most important and most studied of these is something called butyrate or butyric acid. It's a product of gut fermentation of the fiber and some of the complex carbohydrates that you eat. And butyrate is absorbed. That is, it works in the large intestine. It calms down inflammation. It prevents cancer. But it's absorbed because it's what's called a volatile short-chain fatty acid. You know, I mean, it just, it would go off into the air. It's lighter than gasoline. You know, gasoline is octane. This is this has four carbons. It's it's not eight. Guess that's octane is eight carbons. This is four carbons. Very light substance. Travels through your body, travels into your brain, and it can and it is a major epigenetic re, uh, regulator. It it switches, it can switch on genes. Perfect. And that led, led me into, because I do want to talk about probiotics a little bit, because I think that's also confusing. But before I get to the probiotics, I just want to clarify for my audience where you were with that, right? Because when we eat, um, when we eat, uh, prebiotic fiber, that's food right. for a healthy bacteria, which it, in turn, we can call probiotics. But the new chain of science that, um, that we're realizing that when our body, when the probiotics eat that fiber, we the benefit of it is actually what they produce, which is the postbiotics. Now, something I want to be real clear about because 
you can actually go to some stores now and buy postbiotics. But every doctor that I've spoken to, every scientist that I've spoken to have said, you don't, you should not do that because these are very volatile substances. Also, the the pro everybody's gut environment is different. So the probiotics in your body is going to produce a different type of postbiotics based on what you need and based on how you feed it, right? So it's going. That's why if at, towards the end of the episode, we're going to get into healthy foods for your gut because we're going to talk about how you can ingest foods so your probiotics in your body can produce the right postbiotics for you, right? But before Definitely. I get there. I- I want you to break something down for my audience. I want you to break some because we talk about bacteria, we talk about probiotics. But if you were to say to the just like a 10-year-old, explain what probiotics are, how would you do that? I would call them good bugs. If I was talking to a 10-year-old. Okay. Perfect. Good bugs. And and actually, when I was 10 years old, one of my classmates said to me, My mother said that you should always eat a little bit of dirt every day. So the concept of like, you know, of not being too clean, that's not a new concept. It's been around for a long time. Interesting. I like that. And I like how you say good bugs, because that's the focus. The idea is you want to have, and tell me if I'm wrong, doctor, because I'm not the expert here, but the idea is you want to have more of those good bugs in your gut than bad bugs. Oh yeah. In fact, the problem with bad bugs is they can, you know, they can be like an invading army going through. You All you need is one species of bad bug and it can, you know, it can go through, it can wipe out a lot of populations of good bacteria. So the, um, but focusing on building up and maintaining a well-balanced, healthy community of bacteria, I think is very important for health. And it's not just about probiotics. It's, um, you know, there, there are a thousand species of beneficial bacteria in your intestine. Um, and if we go beyond the species, if we go to the level of what are called strains, there are even more. And they, each of them does different things. And they interact with one another. That is one species by itself may not do very much, but it feeds another species. I mean, it's, you know, it is like, it is a community. I mean, you know, it is like, this is a really functioning village and there are definite functions that are end products of these. Now, in the way we live these days, there's a lot of disruption to that. And the disruption comes from the foods and the antibiotics and the antibiotics that are in the foods. Um, and then the low, the lack of fiber and prebiotic foods that's pretty common in the Western diet. Um, so it, it leaves us with a community that to begin with is marginally functional. And then something comes along, we take a hit, we have a hard time responding to it. In, and, and then that community can really get disrupted. Now, um, among probiotics, there's a concept that I came up with based on the research and the science a few years ago that I call Alexander organisms. And 
I, I was inspired to that by Alexander the Great, or Alexander of Macedon. I don't know how great he really was, but he was quite a warrior. So the Macedonian army, like, conquered a huge part of the of the world that they knew at that time. Now, they only managed to do it because of Alexander's leadership. And in fact, because they were all, they had been trained by Alexander's father and they were, you know, so there was a, there was a history there. Um, there are organisms that act like Alexander. That is, they come along and Alexander didn't conquer anything by himself. But he managed to galvanize the army and he was able to galvanize them because of who he was as an individual and what his relationship with them had been. So there are probiotics that work the same way. That is, they come along and they reorganize and galvanize the beneficial bacteria in your gut and they get the whole community to work together. And they're especially important if you've been taking antibiotics, if you've been sick with something that wrecked your gut. So I call these Alexander organisms um, because they seem to me to work the way that Alexander worked. That makes a lot of sense to me. And it comes down to what you said. They are a community that actually works together, right? Yes. So which, which I think is why the, the prebiotic piece is really important because a lot of times people reach out to me and say, hey, what probiotics do you take? And I said, well, if you're just focusing on taking probiotics, you're missing the big picture because you have to eat healthy prebiotic fiber. And we're going to get into that a little bit later, but I just want to drive that home from my audience so they're aware. But before I even move on, the whole, you've mentioned antibiotics so many times, and I want my audience to be clear on that because what are the, the possible downsides of taking antibiotics? Well, okay. I mean, the first obvious downside of antibiotics is that they, they don't just kill the particular bacteria that you're trying to kill or your doctor is trying to kill. They kill a lot of different bacteria. Some of them are much broader in their activity, you know, in their killing, and some are much narrower. But there's, there's going to be collateral damage, and it can be hard to correct that collateral damage. Now, that's going to depend on several factors. Which antibiotic? How long do you take it? What was your health like? And what was the gut microbiome like before? What's the reason you're taking the antibiotics? And how's that impacting your immune system? So it's, you know, it's not a one-size-fits-all situation, but it's definitely something that you need to be aware of, that all of us need to be aware of when we're taking anything. And, you know, I've, I've heard that many times. The way it's been put to me is um, antibiotics, they're not like snipers. They just go in and say, okay, I'm going right. to kill the bad bacteria. It's like dropping a bomb on your gut and it eliminates everything. And a lot of doctors, a lot of scientists have said to me to, to be wary of anyone that's going to just broadly prescribe antibiotics because apparently they just don't understand the importance of the gut environment. Now, we're not saying that antibiotics don't play their role and they're not important, but it shouldn't be your first go-to in a sense, right? Right. Well, they definitely need to be used only under appropriate situations. So antibiotics are different. Some are 
like big bombs and others are like little bombs. And the, um, they don't necessarily kill everything. They kill everything that is sensitive to them. So if there are organisms there that are not sensitive to the antibiotic, they're going to have a field day. They're going to, it's like, oh, all these, you know, here's all, here's all this food that isn't being eaten by the other guys that got killed off. So, you know, I'm going to be able to eat everything I want and grow. And sometimes the problems that you get into with antibiotics are from the loss of good bacteria, but sometimes it's from the overgrowth of these organisms that are called opportunists. They come along and they take advantage of the opportunity presented by the death of all the good bacteria. And sometimes the opportunists are not um, bacteria, they're yeasts or fungi. And, 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 you know, everybody probably has experienced that if they've taken strong antibiotics, like a yeast infection can occur. And it's just because the balance that is keeping the yeast under control is disrupted. Now, the effects of these things are very variable. It can be anything from, oh, you don't really notice much happening, to just devastating effects on uh, your physical and mental health, your, um, your tolerance for food. So now that um we're we're talking about okay the epigenetic piece, but we're all but we're clearly speaking about preserving as much of the good bacteria as your body needs. So we're talking about probiotics here, right? So then let's talk about elaborate where you're getting from on the mental health piece, because a lot of times a lot of us don't realize that there is a connection with our gut microbiome and our mental health. So kind of explain that to my audience. Right. Well, there are a few mechanisms by which the gut microbiome impacts your brain. I wrote a review, a review about this about 10 years ago and outlined what they were. And, uh, and there's some really fascinating research, actually, that's been done in that area, um, which I won't go into now. It's pretty technical, but it, it really, the conclusion of that research is that who you are owes a lot to the microbiome that, that, that is you, your body is an ecosystem. You are part of that ecosystem and, and the way your brain works, the way your immune system works um, is very much dependent upon those relationships. Now, okay, so we talked about po postbiotics. Postbiotics may be bad or they may be good. Some of the chemicals produced by bacteria in your gut um, are toxic to the brain, and they can cause confusion. Uh, they can um, make you feel really drowsy. They can panic attacks and anxiety. Those can all be the result of the wrong postbiotic substances being produced in your gut. The bacteria also have a constant crosstalk with your immune system. So the level of inflammation in your body is definitely influenced by the gut bacteria. And then that inflammation affects chemicals that your immune cells make that then impact your brain. Uh, and the 
third mechanism is a direct talking directly to your nerves. That is, the nervous system in your gut, it has as many nerve cells as your spinal cord. And it's so it's often called the second brain. And the bacteria themselves kind of talk directly to those nerves. They give signals to those nerves. And some of those signals uh, travel from the gut to the brain where they create responses. Now, sure, there's the reverse is true. And for, you know, for um, millennia, there's been an awareness that the brain affects the gut. So things travel, you know, you get, you think about something that's upsetting, you get abdominal pain. Okay. You know, there's that direction, but there's the other direction as well. It's a, it's a bi-directional communication. I like that you say it's a bi-directional communication because a lot of people miss that because that's 100% true. And now we have a lot of information that proves that's 100% true. So we have to focus on that. I mean, isn't, correct me if I'm incorrect, doctor, but isn't it 95% of dopamine is created in your gut or something to that nature? Or right. serotonin, well, I believe. A, right. Well, a lot of the neuro, there's a lot of dopamine in the gut. There's a lot of serotonin in the gut. But that may or may not be related to the amount of dopamine or serotonin in your brain. However, there is, you know, they've been studying brain diseases, Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's, other conditions like that. And there is a direct impact of inflammation in the gut on the development of inflammation in the brain in those conditions. Um, with depression, um, a lot of that is related to inflammation. It's maybe more of an indirect effect in, um, uh, because the chemicals that are released by inflammation, if you were to inject them into a totally healthy person, that person would feel depressed. Um, so, yeah, so there, it occurs at multiple levels, but it is, it is very important. It is definitely connected. Okay, great. And I love that. And just at this point, I'm going to take a short break because I want to talk to everyone about one of my favorite companies. But before I do that, we have some more great information to get into. So stick around because we're going to talk more about inflammation and the causes of inflammation. We're going to talk about how to eliminate some bad bugs from our bodies. We're going to talk about foods to promote good bugs in our bodies. And we're also going to talk about long COVID. So we have a lot of stuff to pick the doctor's brain about. But let me just take a quick break, give him a break, and talk about Perform. See, the Amino Co., their products are 100% science-backed, built on amino acid technology that was first funded by NASA and further refined through rigorous research and independent clinical trials. So yeah, Perform, one of my favorite things to drink. It's an essential amino acid-based formula designed to improve muscle performance during exercise, enhance mental clarity and concentration, reduce fatigue and dehydration, and minimize recovery times. I love Perform. I've talked about it for so long now. I, I drink it every day before my workout. I use it more like a pre-workout because it has essential aminos, creatine, and it has about 60 milligrams of caffeine per serving. And the reason why I bring that up is because creatine has been studied for a long time for the mental benefits. But of course, there's the physical benefits of taking creatine. Creatine has been around forever. 
essential amino acids also have physical and uh, mental benefits as well. That's why they can only use 60 milligrams of caffeine per serving because most pre-workouts have what, 200, 300 milligrams of caffeine, all this sugar, and they have to load it up because they don't give you anything else so you can perform better and bang through your workouts. And everybody knows your boy goes hard in the paint, man. When I'm lifting, you know I live heavy, right? Go on Instagram, check out my videos. You'll see them all. So I love drinking perform and the drive that it gives me to bang through my workouts. So of course, oh, by the way, I forgot this clinical trials. I got to tell you about these trials. I would be doing, I wouldn't do you any favors and tell you about these trials. 20% increase in exercise completed, 22% increase in endurance, 11% increase in peak performance during exercise and 10% cognitive um, improvement in cognitive function during exercise. So check out perform is absolutely my favorite. You only have, you can drink it as an intro workout. For me, I drink it as a pre-workout, wherever you want to do it. And of course, I'm gonna have a gift for you. You go to the website, aminoco.com Zico Health. You see this handsome face smiling at you, and you get 30% off. 30% off their fantastic products. Not just perform, but the intro workout that I drink from Aminoco, which is heal, which I absolutely love as well. Put them together. And you have, you have the, uh, the amino, I should say the amino, what I'm looking for here, the package that you need to bang through your workouts. Maybe I need to drink some now so I get some cognitive function myself. But with that being said, oh, and of course, the website is going to be in the description of the podcast. So you can click on there and get your 30% off. Now, with that being said, we're going back to the regular scheduled programming because I want to talk more about inflammation. Because you meant, you said something very interesting, Doc. You said that if you were to um, inject someone, a healthy person, with the byproducts of the inflammation that comes from these bad, um, bad bugs, right, that they, would, they, they may end up feeling depressed or feel ill, right? So then that leads me to think, because we hear the words inflammation all the time. And of course, we know that the body creates some levels of inflammation. That's just natural. But for a lot of people, there's, most people are, have chronic levels of inflammation. What, why would that be? What's causing us to be, to be walking around inflamed pretty much? Well, a lot of it has to do with diet, but it, it, there's a concept that I think is really important, uh, which goes by the name of leaky gut. It's, I don't happen to like that concept, uh, that term. And, and it also is kind of confusing. Which way is it leaking, in or out, you know? Um, but the... Um, there are toxic substances made by gut bacteria, and our body is designed to keep them out. Um, when that barrier function is compromised, that's when you get leaky gut. You get these toxins in the body. One of them is, um, is actually found in the walls of a lot of, of various types of bacteria like E. coli, for example, which can make people pretty sick. And it's the abbreviation for it is LPS. If you inject an amount of LPS into somebody that is like one one millionth of how much is in the gut, a person feels fatigued and depressed, and they develop an increase in pain sensitivity. So whatever painful stimuli they get are really enhanced. And, and that happens because of the, the, 
because the LPS is a major trigger for inflammatory responses. The inflammation then releases chemicals and the chemicals are, you know, are doing different things to your brain cells, to your immune cells, um, to your muscles. And, you know, it's like, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just a domino effect that occurs. So one of the things that we really want to do is make sure that the integrity of the gut lining is maintained. And there are good bacteria that are responsible for that. Um, the, you know, and when it comes to probiotics, most people know about the lactobacilli. You know, the term acidophilus is the one that's been around a lot. Acidophilus is probably, uh, there are a lot of strains of lactobacillus acidophilus. Um, my favorite lactobacillus strain is the plantarum, which as its name implies is found uh, on vegetables. So it's in fermented foods. There are bifidobacteria, which actually they often get lumped together with the lactobacilli, but they're very different in many ways. And they have major anti-inflammatory effect in the body. Um, among my favorite organisms for probiotics to act as Alexander organisms are things that are not generally thought of as being normal bacteria. They're found in dirt, for example. They come from a species called, uh, from a genus called Bacillus. And they are spore-forming organisms, but they have unique effects on um, the immune system and the gut microbiome. And there, there's a strain of Bacillus, uh, there's a species of Bacillus called Bacillus subtilis, which has different strains that can have pretty profound effects, um, and which I've used therapeutically with my patients. Now, to be clear, for one, we're not telling you to go out there and eat dirt. I might do it no. just because I'm crazy in the brain, right. but you know. I'm, I, right. I, I, I am not advocating that because the quality of the dirt is not under your control. That's true. But, but these are organisms that come from the soil. And which is what leads me to my question, right? Because is that why it's important to technically eat locally? Because the, the benefits of, let's say, fruits and vegetables that are grown in the dirt? Uh, there's certainly, there is a benefit to organisms that are grown organically. That, um, that are raw, that are fermented? Do they need to be local? I think that really depends on, on what local means to each individual. Because um, what is desirable is to have the largest variety of foods and um, foods that supply a lot, of, a lot of prebiotic fibers. Got you. So then this is my next question then, because... A lot, we, we talk a lot about, okay, we need to grow probiotics. We need to have more good bacteria and so on, right? But before we get to the foods, what, what are some things to lessen the bad bacteria that's in our gut? Well, if we start with food, I would start with food. There are components of food that are called polyphenols. And, you know, they've, 
been studied a lot. They are found in fruits and vegetables and herbs and spices. Polyphenols act like curators of the gut microbiome. They, there are a lot of harmful bacteria that cannot grow or thrive if you're eating a polyphenol-rich diet. And um, so the ideal diet, from my perspective, is actually let's start with what you shouldn't eat <laughs> because that, that becomes easier. Um, there, there is no way that sugar is good for your gut. And foods that are basically rich in added sugar, definitely bad for your gut. There are variable responses to things like um, animal protein and animal fat or fats in general. But I would say that for most people, not for everybody, meat does not have a great effect on the gut. And definitely highly processed foods that have had all the fiber and the polyphenols stripped away, that's bad. So if your real focus on your gut, if your real focus is on your gut, then a whole foods diet is the way to go. Now, I treat a lot of patients who have food sensitivities. And so I can't say that, oh, yeah, this is... Um, you know, oh, everybody should eat this way because I have so many. I mean, I'm a doctor. I treat people who are sick. They have quirky problems. Um, but in general, high fiber, high polyphenol, um, plant-based diet, fermented foods is what is best for establishing the healthiest microbiome. And actually, I'll, I'll tell you about a patient of mine who uh, I had. There's a patient that I've known for years who had a lot of food sensitivities, and they would affect her in very dramatic ways. Um, uh, fever, um, swollen um, salivary glands, sores in her mouth. She needed to, needed to really, in fact, she was very sensitive to nightshade vegetables, tomatoes, potatoes, peppers. Uh, we had worked that out, and if she avoided them, she stayed pretty well. But she had a real problem with cholesterol. It was in her family. And so we moved her, she moved over um, to uh, really a plant-based, total plant-based diet to decrease her cardiovascular risk. After doing that for about a year, her sensitivity to nightshade vegetables went away. So fixing, changing her gut microbiome by eating all of these plant-based high fiber prebiotic foods rich in the polyphenols um, really it changed their whole pattern of food sensitivity, but it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. So then that's a very good point, which kind of makes me think about something else because I've heard different things about how much, how, how, how many different uh, fruits and vegetables we should eat throughout a day. So generally speaking, right. How many different types of, let's say, plant-based foods should someone eat in a day? Oh, I, you know, I would say there's ideal and there's practical. Okay. So, yeah, ideal would be over a dozen different types of um, fruits, vegetables, um, 
uh, and legumes and, and other types of um, plant-based foods. Um, practically, aim for at least five or six servings. That you can do in the U.S. You, um, pretty easily. But if you can go higher, um, and, you know, there was a study, since we're going to talk about COVID, um, it was a study that was done that looked at susceptibility to illness with COVID-19. Now, this was a study of healthcare workers. Uh, most of them were doctors. Most of them were probably men. And it was done in six different countries. Um, but the researchers were from top places in the U.S., Johns Hopkins, Columbia, Harvard, uh, and Stanford. And they looked at their dietary pattern during the year before they got COVID. And then they looked at the question of how sick did they get with COVID. And what they found was that a 40% increase in the number of vegetables that, they, that people ate produced a 70% decrease in the risk that they would get moderately to severely ill compared to having minimal to no symptoms. That's powerful because one of it my is. rules is I eat a uh, plant-based food with every meal. Um, but, and, and not just for gut bacteria, but also for balancing blood sugar, healthy, uh, um, you know, uh, healthy fiber, so on and so forth. So there's a lot of reasons why I do that. So, but I'm not going to get into all that right now because I have more questions for the doctor here. Because when we're talking, the last question is going to be on COVID, but I have one big question to ask you before I talk about COVID. Given the, the study you just gave me, would you include, let's say, um, spices or teas into your plant-based category? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, spices, in fact, a lot of the benefits of spices are due to the fact that we've got concentrated polyphenols in those spices. And that's also true for the benefits of teas. Perfect. They're basically, that's, are, that's a water extraction of the polyphenols from the leaf. Perfect. And that's what I wanted to drive home because people may hear that, who, especially if they don't eat vegetables already and be like, you're crazy. It doesn't eat that many vegetables, but in other ways is the spices that you use in your food, right? You can get turmeric. You know, I grew up in Jamaica. We eat curry, right? That's turmeric, right? The teas that you drink, ginger teas and black teas and green teas. I had an entire interview with Jenny Shin. She talked about the benefits of teas. And one of the things we talked about was, was those polyphenols, right? Among other things. So that's those are other good ways that you can get um, th these benefits into your diet and then try to work on in, you know, adding vegetables with every meal as much as possible. And not just vegetables, but you know, fruits and different different types of plants, right? Like eat the rainbows, what they pretty they pretty much say is what you should aim for. But I want to put that together, which leads me now with the big thing you talked about, COVID just a while ago. Let's talk about long COVID, right? Because that seems to be a term now because a lot of people are experiencing these long COVID symptoms. So what, first of all, what really would you say from, from a medical standpoint is long COVID and what are some ways to reduce the aftermath of it? Okay, so there are different concepts. And the way that I approach it in working with patients and trying to help them is what I would call a functional approach rather than let's try and 
um, describe this disease and figure out how to treat the disease. The question that I ask, and I've been researching intensively since the beginning of the pandemic, is how does having an infection with this virus impact the physiology of your body? And how does that change in physiology last? And then how how is that relevant, what we know about it scientifically, to each person that I'm seeing? So there are people in whom that altered physiology will give them nervous system problems, um, blood pressure problems, fatigue, um, brain fog, um, problems with their uh, breathing problems, circulatory problems. There are other people who may not really have any symptoms, but their risk of heart attack increases 100% during the year after COVID, or they're at greater risk of developing high blood pressure or, um, uh, you know, or some other problem, diabetes. Risk of diabetes goes up after COVID. So um, I look at these things as post-COVID sequelae, the, the consequences of having had COVID and what that does to you over the next year. And, and I have a whole presentation on my website. I put together a document called Long COVID Prevention and Treatment. It's about 50 pages long. It's just up there for anyone who wants to read it um, with um, all of the observations that I had made through January of this year when it was posted about the factors that contribute to long COVID and ways of getting of avoiding long COVID if you get COVID or if you are symptomatic, steps you can take to try and um, reverse the problems that have occurred. And um, of course, it's best to try and deal with it right at the time when you get COVID um, because six months or eight, eight months later, a year later, there are a lot of changes that might occur in your body that are gonna be hard to reverse. Um, and in the um, in my own personal practice of people who have had COVID nineteen, I'm you know I've had I guess hundreds of them. Long COVID has been very very rare. I can identify one patient really that I started treating at the onset of COVID. You know who's um, who is still struggling with the impact of COVID. So I think there are steps you can take when you get it to prevent getting long COVID. And it certainly starts with diet and the principles that I described before of a plant-based diet and lots of polyphenols. Although I do see, I see some patients, they'll contact me and they were the picture of health and they had the greatest diets before they got COVID and then they got devastated by long COVID afterwards. So it's not as if this is something that you can totally control and you can't blame people for getting long COVID. It's not their fault. It's not because they were had an unhealthy lifestyle necessarily. It's just because of how tricky this virus is and what it does to us. And there is a definite impact of the virus on the gut microbiome. I mean, it, it um, getting long, getting COVID-19 wipes out certain populations of really healthy bacteria. And 
And it does so because the virus itself changes the physiology in your intestine where when it binds to the cells in your intestinal tract, which it always does. And that's a place where the virus can continue um, and can persist, even if it's gone from other parts of your body. That's been pretty well established. So whenever I'm treating anyone with COVID, uh, I want to make sure that the virus is cleared out of their gut. Um, and I use, there's a particular probiotic I use to try and help with that. Um, I also, there, there's certain herbs and supplements that I use. It's really all described on, uh, you know, in this document on my website, which is drgallon.com. It's D-R-G-A-L-L-A-N-D.com. And it's right there on the landing page. Perfect. Because that was the last question I was going to ask everyone. How can we learn more about your work? And it's Dr. drgallon.com right there on the landing page. And not only is that I'm going to make sure that the website is in the show notes. Show notes are going to be zkl.com slash drgallon. So, right? We can make it nice and easy. And of course, the show notes are going to be a description of the podcast. So you can click on there, learn more about his fantastic work, access his website, read his PDF, and learn a lot more about his work. But before I get out of here, Dr. Gallon, other than your website, is there any other way that my audience can get in touch with you? Uh, well, I have, I, yeah, the, if you go to the website, there's a way of reaching my office. Uh, perfect. There. Perfect. So you, you can reach them through the website and you can also download and read that PDF so you can learn more about the gut environment, polyphenols, how to starve the bad bacteria, feed the good bacteria, and fight against long COVID. Thank you, Dr. Guyan, for being here. This is a wonderful episode. I know I kind of threw a lot of curveball at you, but I really want you to talk about so many good things. I had to bring it out to my audience. So thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you for watching. We're out of here for the day, fam. Okay, great. Thanks for the interview. Thanks for joining the Matter Over Mind experience. If you got good content out of this or any of my shows, save, subscribe, and share it with anyone needs this information. Remember, always take the scenic route and enjoy the ride.